Let's open our Bibles today to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Usually I feel like I'm pretty good with directions. Uh, even before the uh, GPS uh, came along to be a part of uh, all of our lives, uh, even before, do you remember the Garmin, uh, before that came along, uh, one of the things I enjoyed was just having a copy of a Rand McNally map uh, wherever I was with me, kind of get a picture in my mind of where I was going, and then it just would make sense. And so it's uh, interesting to me that one of the times that I most remember getting lost actually has to do with Watkinsville. And 20-plus years ago when we came uh, to Watkinsville, I can remember a couple of occasions where I felt like I've never been as lost as I currently was at that moment. I, I just had a hard time understanding the way the roads work in Oconee County. In fact, my very first trip uh, to Watkinsville to meet with the search committee of the church, when Carl and I left to go back to the place we were staying near Atlanta, I got lost. And we were driving, and the crazy thing is I didn't even know I was lost because I was so unfamiliar with where we were trying to go and had not been on that side of Atlanta very much at all and we're just driving and driving and driving and all of a sudden I'm, I'm getting into the busiest city part of Atlanta and I'm thinking this is not where we were supposed to go. I was lost. Um, I, I had uh, gone the wrong direction and I had taken a wrong turn. Today, when we come to Malachi chapter 3, the children of God had turned in the wrong direction. And the crazy thing is, they seemingly did not even know they were headed in the wrong way. Uh, and I say that about even being lost in Watkinsville. The truth is, is that Watkinsville is a place where a lot of people... Um, lose their way. I don't mean physically. Watkinsville has all the distractions needed. Oconee County has all the distractions needed for people to go the wrong way spiritually. So I don't mean lost physically, and I don't, and, and listen, I don't even, I'm not even talking about lost eternally. But there is great temptation in our world right around us to make a wrong turn, go the wrong direction, and be lost spiritually. Just, just turn away from walking in step with God. And I want you to think with me for just a few minutes as you listen to these words in Malachi with this question on your mind, uh, have you turned away from God? Have you turned away from God? And you might say, how do I even know if I have? Well, this passage in Malachi chapter 3 shows us what it looks like to turn away from God, to go away from God, to turn aside from God. The good news is, is that this passage also tells us how we can come back to God. And I think it's a great passage of Scripture 
for God's children to regularly go back to, to evaluate and assess and look and see day after day, year after year, is it possible that in some area of my life or just in my life spiritually, I'm not walking in step with God and, and I have lost my way in my day-to-day fellowship with the Lord. Malachi chapter 3, God says the people had turned from him. They seemed to not know it. What was the sign that they had turned from him? Before I read these verses from chapter 3, let me give you kind of the big idea for the message today. If you're going to write one statement down, if you're going to walk away with one truth this morning, I want to give it to you early in the message, and it's this. We know we have turned away from God when we are keeping from Him what belongs to Him. We know that we have turned away from God when we are keeping from Him what belongs to Him. I hope you'll see this. Here's a shorter version. This is how God says it. God says, you are robbing me. That's pretty direct. It's pretty blunt. How do you know that you've turned away from God? God says, you are robbing me. Now let's look at these verses. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, and I'll just read down through verse 12. Malachi 3, 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you. So that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. We know that we've turned away from God. When we are keeping from him what belongs to him. Well, how does this look? How does this work? How have we turned from God, the people say? And and written kind of into this is how can we get back? How can you get back to God today? Let's break it apart. Kind of four sections here. I want you to see, first of all, the condition God assesses. The condition that God assesses first happens through an evaluation. And in verse 7, he says, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. God looks 
And he speaks through his prophet Malachi. And he says, here's the assessment. Here's the evaluation. Here's the accounting. Here's the audit, if you will. I go all the way back to your fathers. And here in this time, this would have been in their mind to hear this phrase. They would have thought words like God of Abraham, uh, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the, the, the God of your fathers. It says, you've, you've turned aside from those days now to where you are living now. You've gone a different direction. Uh, you've turned aside from my statutes. That's his principles, his law, his way of operating, what God would call right and what God would call wrong. He says, you've not kept my ways. Now, it's interesting as God evaluates where they are and their distance from him, he points out they're not obeying him, they're not serving him, they're not loving him. And they're asking the question, but how? It was almost a mystery to them. And, and even in our life, we can have some things in our life that we say spiritually in our relationship with God that, well, I do this and I do this. We can even get in a comparison with other people and say, compared to them, this is what I do. And, and, and come up with a good assessment of where we are with the Lord, but let God assess and what God says is this. God says, I haven't changed. You've turned aside. I've been going the same way that I've always gone. I've been operating in the same ways that I've always operated. In Psalm 86, King David says, Lord, teach me your ways and I will walk in them. What King David knew was is that God had a way of doing things. And, and, and he says to his children here, what you've done is that you've taken my ways and you've gotten off the path. You know, that's always the case when there's movement toward God or away from God. It's not God that moves, it's us that moves. It's us that, that walks away from him, turns away from him, steps away from him. And what was the evidence? That was the evaluation of the assessment. But what's the evidence? How could God prove this? What example could he give of them turning away from God? What example might there be in my life if I'm not walking in step with God? In verse 7, he says, return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord of, Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And then look at verse 8. Will man rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Did you expect that? Uh, this week when we studied together as a teaching team, I, I was walking through this and I said, you know, just cut it off right there at the end of verse 7. And God's saying, return to me. And I'll return to you. You've turned aside. And they say, how, how, what have we done? I, I don't think that I, my first thought would have been immediately that the next phrase as evidence of turning away from God is going to have something to do with money or giving. But the very first play, place that God goes through his prophet Malachi to identify that they had turned aside from God was what they were giving to God and how they were handling their gifts to God. 
And God says, here's the evidence right, right up front. Number one, here's the, here's the number one piece of evidence that you've turned aside from my ways. You're robbing me. You're stealing from me. Remind you, they were in a covenant relationship with God. And in this covenant relationship, they were not relating. They were not relating through their gifts and offerings. They said, how are we robbing you? God says, in your tithes and contributions. And the people of God were not returning to God what was his. Now, the the truth is, when you work through God's word, we see that everything that we have is God's. That we are not owners, we're stewards. And apparently what God's people here were doing, they had moved from a viewpoint of stewardship to a viewpoint of ownership. And they did not see that what they had in their possessions was a trust from God that they were to return to him for his use as worship and love of him. They were not bringing their tithes. The the word tithe there is certainly a a biblical word. It is a word that means most literally 10%, a tenth. And God's saying to them that this this pattern of my relating to you and giving is, is... it, it, it's, a, it's about a tithe, it's about your offerings, it's about your contributions and what you're, uh, what you're giving to me does not represent obedience to me. God is teaching us here in this relationship with his children that an early indicator of spiritual decline shows up in a decline in generosity. An early indicator of a waning love for something uh, will be a, can be tracked by how we give to it. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knew, God knew, That if you track giving, you will find a heart. And as he tracked the giving, the tithes and offerings and contributions of his people, what he found was is that their heart was in a different place. And they were keeping what belonged to him to themselves instead of returning it to him. In fact, listen to how he describes it. Don't miss this. We, We cannot belittle this this is his direct uh, confrontation of the people he equates their pattern of giving to stealing uh, to robbing uh, there is um, in calling what they gave stealing or robbing it was a recognition that what they were holding on to actually did not belong to them It was not theirs to keep. Again, it goes back to God reminding them and rebuking them that they were stewards of what they had. It's ironic that this week on our church property, auditors are here. 
Uh, we, it's, it's time for us as a church family to have an audit of all things financial in the life of our church. And just the mention of that, it, uh, nothing to hide, but just thought, man, it's, it's, it's accounting time. It's audit time. It's, there's going to be an evaluation. There's going to be questions asked and interviews uh, given. And uh, I, I have a, an interview on Monday with an auditor to ask questions about things going on in the life of our church when it comes to giving and spending. Now, what we have here is Malachi, the auditor. Uh, he, has, uh, he has shown up here to God's people, and he says, Hey, uh, we're look, I, I want you to look at the books. I, I want you to look at what you're doing financially and what you're doing in the way you're handling your resources uh, there's an accounting for that. As I work through this passage of Scripture and I see God's rebuke of His children when it comes to their tithes and offerings, what do I do with that? As a follower of Christ, a New Testament believer, and I, here's what I do with that. I, I take inventory of my life. I, I take inventory of my finances I take inventory of my earnings and my possessions and my giving and I need to look and see Lord is there anything that I'm withholding from you that is yours I need to see where my heart is when it comes to how I use the resources that God has entrusted to me and that's what God was assessing at the very beginning with his people he, he says there's evidence here that you've turned aside from me and the evidence that you've turned aside from me is the way that you're handling your tithes and offerings I notice secondly the call that God makes the call that God makes here in verse 2 is a gracious call his people had turned aside from him and the way that they were being aware being made aware that they had turned aside from him was God putting his finger on their pocketbooks. He was putting their finger, his finger on their material resources. And, and look what he does. He says, return to me. And I will return to you. Even in that statement, we have a great picture of the patience of God. Where do you see the patience of God? Look at verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I'm told by better students than myself that when God refers to his children as the children of Jacob, that that's actually a, a, a title that he would use when his children were in rebellion. He uses their old name. You see, he had changed their name to Israelites. And really what God is saying here, he's calling them Jacobites. And he goes back to almost like their life before he had changed Jacob's name to Israel and, and, and made them aware that they were his chosen people. And it's like he's saying, all right, you Jacobites, 
you're living in a way that doesn't represent your love for me. But notice what he says then. You're not consumed. In other words, I'm still faithful to you. I'm still patient with you. I'm still coming after you. I'm bringing conviction to you. I'm bringing rebuke to you. And the rebuke and, and, and the, the, the call to them through the prophet is actually a, it's an act of mercy and grace and patience from God. And he, and he comes and he says, return to me and I will return to you. And the way back to God was not for God to move. The way back to God was for the people to come back to him. And that's a call that we see over and over and over again in God's word. God wants our heart. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your check. God doesn't need your dollar. God doesn't need your million dollars. God wants your heart. And he knows that how we handle these these resources that he puts in our hand does so much in our heart. It does so much in our relationship. And, And God wants our heart heart and in in grace he he calls and he's and he says return to me God in his grace and mercy today I believe brings us here to Malachi saying come to me come back to me I've heard it over and over again not not just a few times people saying to me I don't think I've ever heard someone preach through Malachi before I don't think I've ever heard a sermon I had a man tell me a couple of weeks ago he said I've been in church 69 years and I've never heard a sermon from Malachi imagine the timing on this that God at this moment in your life would have our church in this book of Malachi I believe to to speak and in on purpose and he's saying hey come back to me this gracious call whether it's Genesis where he comes to Adam and he says, Adam, where are you? Or Hosea, where he sends him after Gomer, his adulterous wife, where he says, go after her. Or if it's Jesus looking at Zacchaeus in the tree saying, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. Or if it's even Revelation, where God is saying, come to me. In fact, one of the amazing things that I see here in this passage and in this week is the similarity between the last book of the Old Testament and the last words of the New Testament. Uh, Trusting that you remember a lot of these words of Malachi that we've been reading the last couple of weeks. Listen to these last words in the last book of the New Testament. How similar they are to those of Malachi. Revelation 22 verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's this gracious call of God. And he makes it to us today through Malachi where he's saying, come back to me. 
Third, I want you to see the cost that God promises. God assesses a condition. They've turned away from him. God makes a call. Come back to me. Maybe he's making that call to you today. Notice the cost that God promises. He says, verse 8, but you say, how have we robbed you? God says, in your tithes and contributions. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. What is the cost of keeping to ourselves what belongs to him? What is the cost of us keeping from him what actually belongs to him? God says a curse. A curse on the whole nation, in fact. He says a curse will be on you, not blessing and it's, it's, that, it's that picture of, of, of bad, of disappointment, of destruction. And, and, and he says, it, that's what's on you. And it's interesting. It's, it's like the people of God were saying, I will keep this back to have something. When God says, actually... By keeping back what belongs to me, you're losing something. Uh, you're, you're receiving a curse. And, and, he, and he says, it's the whole nation of you. And it's a, it's a reminder to us that, that in our giving of tithes and offerings, that it might be a, an individual thing, but it actually impacts a far wider circle than that. And it's it's a great it it brings alarm to my heart and soul to know that in in my in my life that my disobedience in some area in my relationship with the Lord doesn't just influence me it influences the whole body it it influences the kingdom of God and and I think a good picture of that for us to see is that when we withhold from God what belongs to Him that is meant to be used to advance his kingdom, what we're doing is actually impacting the whole kingdom. And I wonder what the church could do today in in the broadest sense around the world if all of God's people were faithful in their tithes and offerings and contributions. What could happen in our nation if all of those who bear the name of Jesus Christ were faithful in their giving and tithes? You know that in America... Uh, we, we see that, that the average of the giving of an evangelical is somewhere between 2 and 4% of their income. Uh, imagine in our church what could happen, what, what advance could happen for the kingdom, what ministry could happen in our community, in our world, if every one of us were found faithful in our Giving, but God says there is a curse and it impacts the whole. Why would, it, why would there be a curse on it? It, it almost seems like a, a little money. I mean, God doesn't really need that. What's the big deal? I think the reason it's such a big deal is because it flies in the face of his character. I don't know that we're ever more like God than when we're giving. 
God's attribute, God's character, he has this attribute of giving. It, we, we call it grace. And, he, and he, 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 he's a giver in all caps. He gave us life. He gave us breath. He gave us this earth to live on. He gives us resources. He gives us blessing. Both the godly and the ungodly receive this general grace. And God gives us a way of salvation. He, he gave us his only begotten son. He gives us the opportunity for forgiveness. He gives us the opportunity for relationship with Him. He gives us the opportunity for the hope of heaven. He gives us this promise of a land where there's no more tears, no more dying, no more death, no more separation, no more sickness, no more pain, no more war, no more conflict. And when we withhold from God what is his, it flies in the very face of his nature and character and attribute because his name is one of grace and giving. God says, you've turned away from me. I, I see it in the assessment of your condition. I make a call to you to return to me. The cost is a curse if you don't. Let me show you finally the cure God describes. The cure God describes. He says in verse 10, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. It's the only time in Scripture where God invites us to test Him. And the place that God invites us to test him the place where God says give me a chance to prove myself has to do with giving and, and he says test me you give the tithe you give contributions you give your offerings to me and see what I'll do and he says here's what I'll do see if I won't open the windows of heaven see if I won't I love that God is just saying see if I won't you stand on my word, and I'll stand on my word that if you're faithful to me in your giving, see if I won't open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing. Listen to this. Until there is no more need. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. So that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul and your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then what? Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God saying, if you'll bear my name, if you'll live out this attribute and this characteristic of being generous, of being a, a giver, of being a steward, a good steward, a godly steward, then look what's going to happen. I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to... You're going to be called blessed. There's going to be a desire for who you are and what you are. So you'll be identified as God's people. And it was God's way of bringing honor and glory to his name. 
The cure that God describes has an action to it. It's important for us to hear today how we find ourselves guilty of robbing God. How do we act? We do what he says. We bring in, in a test of who God is, he says, we, we bring our offerings and tithes to him. We return to him. Here's what we do. We return to him what we have kept from him. It's an act of repentance. To turn aside from God means to make an about face, to go a different way. And God is calling us to come back and walk with him in our worship of him through our giving What's the result? Blessing. The cost of not doing is curse. The result of living in this way is blessing. And God shows that, he says, I'll pour out the blessings of heaven. I will, I will, I'll destroy the devourer. I'll make your vine bear fruit. And what would be the opposite of that? It helps me to think about that. The opposite would be to live a life of constant need where there's never enough. To live a life of ruined fruit where something that bears or produces just winds up being ruined or wasted. Barren vines. That would be the result of not honoring him with our giving. But the cure is to return to him what he's given to us. Now, in closing... Just a couple of statements. Think with me for just another moment. To know if we've turned away from God. Can I just say it this way? Follow the money trail. He says, you've turned aside from me. How do we know if we've turned aside from God? Follow the money trail. I mean, it's as practical as just tracing what we do with our resources and possessions. And when you follow the money trail... You'll find your heart. How we give is the real story of what we love. You see it over and over again. How we give is the real story of what we love. Let today be the day that marks a return to the Lord. And make a decision today. That you will begin this life pattern of worshiping God, loving God through your gifts, through your offerings, through your tithes. Tony Nolan is an evangelist that preaches, shares the gospel. And in fact, uh, the very first year, Tony came here and preached for several days. And I saw... Uh, a post on social media for him, from him recently. He, he posted a picture of a Super Bowl ring full of diamonds worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And uh, Tony Nolan said about this ring, he says, years back, I was about to preach after a NFL game at Edward Jones Dome in St. Louis. And Grant Williams, a massive offensive tackle, asked me what I was preaching about. I said, Mark 8.36. He then put this Super Bowl ring in my hand. He said, it's yours. You can have it. Look at the engraving on the inside. Tony says, I did. 
And it said, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Tony says, I kept that ring a short time and I gave it back. He proved his heart by giving it. And Christ tested mine to give it back. Before I met Jesus, I was a thief. What a great God we worship who transforms the sinner's heart. Friends, I think that's the picture that God is showing us here today. He's saying to be a thief of what God has given actually is to illustrate a life that doesn't belong to God. But he's saying to his people, and I believe he's saying to his people today, this morning, don't live like a thief. Don't live like a child that doesn't belong to me. But be mine, because you are mine. And worship me with your gifts, and I'll have your heart. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you would do deep work in our hearts. Lord, that our earthly possessions would be seen by us to have an eternal tie. Lord, help us to love you with our heart, which today we see from your word, that means loving you with our gifts. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace giving us so much. And I pray we would replicate that over and over and over again in our worship. And Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.